Well, good morning, everybody. Um, my name is Jim Nelson, part of the teaching team here at Grace, also on the elder team. And um, as you know, Mark has been taking us through 1 Corinthians 15. We're going to do something a little different today. Okay? And I have some help. So you've already gotten an upgrade on the teaching time. Um, <laughs> Andy and Ashley are going to do the reading for us. What we're going to try to do is to bring more content of Scripture during the teaching time today to see how that goes. We're going to read entire passages, and I'll be commenting on them. And we're going to be using the lectionary, uh, which has a, a really rich history. And the good thing about uh, this method is that it gives you exposure to passages that you might not otherwise spend a lot of time in. So today, as you can see, we're uh, going to be looking at Job 2, Psalm 26, and Hebrews 2. And so, uh, and the theme within these passages, you can see there, it's, it's, it's going to be talking about trusting under siege. So, <clears throat> uh, what I'm going to do is turn it over to these guys. They're going to read Job chapter 2, verses 1 through 10 for us. Job 2, 1 through 10. Again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. And Satan also came among them to present himself before the Lord. The Lord said to Satan, Where have you come from? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From roaming about on the earth and walking around on it. The Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? For there is no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. And he still holds firm to his integrity, although you incited me against him to ruin him without cause. Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, yes, all that a man has he will give for his life. However, reach out with your hand now and touch his bone in his flesh. He will curse you to your face. So the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he is in your power. Only spare his life. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with severe boils from the sole of his foot to the top of his head. And Job took a piece of pottery to scrape himself while he was sitting in the ashes. Then his wife said to him, Do you still hold firm your integrity? Curse God and die. But he said to her, You are speaking as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we actually accept good from God, but not accept adversity? Despite all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Thank you. So this is a difficult passage, right? This is one of those ones that would probably be easier to skip over. But we need to see the whole picture of God in Scripture. But these questions come up in this passage. Why did God allow this? In fact, why does he allow suffering and evil in this world? And so brilliant minds, theologians, philosophers have wrestled with this problem for hundreds of years. And, you know, the bottom line is it's a mystery. We don't know. We can't have a totally satisfactory answer to that. So what do we do? When there is a mystery about God that we don't understand and it makes us uncomfortable. We don't want to ignore it. What we want to do is recognize in any relationship there is some mystery. The closest relationship to you. Do you understand everything if you're married? Everything about your 
spouse, all their motivations, the reasons they do things. There are things you don't understand about people. Maybe things that you don't like. Well, what do you do in a healthy relationship? You put those things in context, right, with everything that you do know. And so... Mysteries about God have a context. What is it? Well, the vast amount of truth that we do know. So what we need to do is recognize that there's mystery that we don't understand, recognize it for what it is, but not lose sight of what we do know. And so in this passage about Job, there's some important truths that we can overlook if we get uh, wrapped up in this mystery. So let's take a look at what we do know, what we can see. So there's this conversation between God and Satan. <clears throat> Satan says, I've been roaming around the earth and walking around on it. The Lord says to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There's no one like him. Well, what do we learn from this? Earthly events matter in the spiritual realm, right? You may think that what you're doing doesn't matter, but it matters greatly. What you can't see is the other side of what is going on in this, in this spiritual realm. So, let's continue. Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, yes, all that a man had he'll give for his life. Put forth your hand and touch his bone and his flesh and he'll curse you to your face. Can you feel the cynicism in here? The malice? Notice that it's not just against Job. It's against humanity. All that a man has, he'll, get, he'll give for his life. <clears throat> so the accuser's attack was at the level of Job's identity and humanity. And so this is really important for us to recognize. This was, there was no specific thing brought up against Job in this passage. And for us, the same thing happens. If, if the Holy Spirit is going to convict us of something, it's going to be specific, right? There's going to be something. I need to ask this person for forgiveness. I need to, to make a specific uh, apology to someone or confess this sin. But this, accuse, this accusation was, Job is selfish. He's cowardly. He's unreliable. He's disloyal. Those are things that attack the identity. And so you and I, as we are trying to discern in our own lives, the Holy Spirit versus the voice of the accuser this should be a red flag. If it's something that's not specific, if it's something that you can't point at and point your, put your finger on, that should be a red flag in your life that this may be com coming from the accuser, the voice of the accuser in your life. So the Lord says, Behold, he's in your power. Only spare his life. And as I said before, we don't completely understand why. But there's something very important to point out here. And that is, permission was required. God was totally in command and he set boundaries. We may not understand exactly why, but it had to be permitted. God was in charge. So the question then comes up, well, can I trust him? Can I trust God? If he is in charge, can I trust him? And that's where the context, the accurate context of who God is is so important. And then we have this where his wife says to him, do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. 
<clears throat> okay, so Job's wife says this to him, and you know, we could criticize what she said, but you know, this is sort of the raw truth of where we get sometimes, right? I mean, when you have suffered and suffered, sometimes this is where you get. And so, oops, this is the choice. This is the choice that we have. Uh, we can turn our back on God or we can press in closer. And it seems that when we are in extreme difficulty, it tends to force us out of neutrality. We begin to see that we've got basically two choices. When we're suffering and struggling, either we're going to turn our back on God, as Job's wife suggested. Of course, Job said, no, I'm not going to do that. Or we press in closer. And so we're going to move into Psalm 26 now, where David gives us this great example of someone who, under stress, under duress, pressed in closer. So, Ashley, if you'd read that for us. Psalm 26. Vindicate me, Lord, for I have walked in my integrity. And I have trusted in the Lord without wavering. Examine me, Lord, and put me to the test. Refine my mind and my heart. For your goodness is before my eyes, and I have walked in your truth. I do not sit with deceitful people, nor will I go with pretenders. I hate the assembly of evildoers, and I will not sit with the wicked. I will wash my hands in innocence, and I will go around your altar, Lord, that I may proclaim with the voice of faithfulness and declare all your wonders. Lord, I love the dwelling of your house and the place where your glory remains. Do not take my soul away along with sinners, nor my life with men of bloodshed, in whose hands is a wicked scheme and whose right hand is full of bribes. But as for me, I will walk in my integrity. Redeem me and be gracious to me. My foot stands on level ground. In the congregations, I will bless the Lord. Thank you. <clears throat> What's going on with David? He says, vindicate me. What does that mean? Declare me innocent, O Lord. David is being falsely accused of evil. That's what's happening here. And so he's suffering under this. But what does he do? This is such an example to us. In trouble, he turned to God for his vindication. We live in a culture where defending personal rights Vindicating ourselves is so strong right now. David turned to God for that. He looked to God for that, for that in his life. And then he says this, Your loving kindness is before my eyes. David's eyes were fixed on the loving kindness of God. And you know, that word loving kindness, the, the Hebrew word for that is really a magnificent word. In Hebrew, this word for loving kindness is hesed. And it is, we don't have a word like it in English. It, is, it suggests an unfailing, steadfast love that is so strong that it acts. And so a good example of, of this kind of love, Hesed, between people is in the book of Ruth, 
where you remember Ruth, uh, she was a Moabite woman who married a he- into a Hebrew family. Her husband and her father-in-law both passed away. And so Ruth loved her mother-in-law, Naomi, with this kind of love. It's used to refer to her. And remember that famous passage where Ruth said to her mother-in-law, don't urge me to leave you. I'm not going to turn back from following you. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die. And I'll be buried there. So this is an example of this unfailing, loyal love. And David is saying, I I have my eyes fixed on this part of your nature, God. And then he says, I'll go about your altar, O Lord, that I may proclaim with the voice of thanksgiving and declare all your wonders. O Lord, I love the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. If you were to say what really is the master key to David's life, it's in here. Can you think of anyone in the Old Testament who fulfilled the great commandment of loving God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength the way David did? He passionately loved God and he desired to be near him. I love the habitation of your house. I want to be near your altar. And so David, under duress, he's being falsely accused. He's faced with that choice. Am I going to blame God and turn my back on him, or am I going to press in closer? And because of his love for God, it seems that David, with his tender conscience, always wanted to press in closer, no matter what was going on. And then he says, my foot stands on a level place. In the congregations, I shall bless the Lord. What do we see here? Well, we see the importance in David's mind of being part of a worshiping community, like what we are. David wanted to take his place in the community of worshipers. So he was under stress. He was under duress. But he didn't let that justify isolation from God's people. David didn't see himself as a loner or a spiritually superior person. He saw himself as a fellow worshiper who wanted to take his place among the people of God. And this is such a striking picture in my mind to see David desiring and wanting to take his place among the worshipers. You know, his love for God translated into his love for the community of fellow believers. Okay, and now we're going to move into Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews 2, 9 through 12. But we do see him who was made for a little while lower than the angels, namely Jesus, because of his suffering death, crowned with glory and honor, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting for him, for whom are all things, and through whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory, to perfect the originator of their salvation through sufferings. For both he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified are all from one Father. For this reason he is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters, saying, I will proclaim your name to my brothers. In the midst of the assembly I will sing your praise. So the author says that we see him 
Jesus, who was made for a little while lower than the angels. He's talking about Jesus' humanity, his humanity and his suffering, which we have just acknowledged in, in, our, in our communion time together, that Jesus was made a little lower than, than the angels for a while. So his humanity, Jesus' humanity, was authentic. It was real. Do you remember in the Garden of Gethsemane when the disciples were sleeping in Luke 22? An angel came to strengthen him. Jesus' suffering was greater than any other human being. How can we say that? Well, it, it tells us in this passage that he tasted death for everyone. He didn't only become fully human. He suffered and paid for the sins of the world. He took that upon himself. What kind of a God straps the sin of the world on his back and takes it to the cross? This is what we're talking about as far as the context, the context of who God is. We see the bigger picture. What kind of God offers forgiveness and life freely? to anyone who would come by giving his body and blood. And so we come full, full circle in, in this question of the context of who God is. And then finally, he says, For both he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified are all from one Father, for which reason he's not ashamed to call them brethren. Jesus is not ashamed of his humanity. Do you realize that today and forever that Jesus Christ is in a resurrected human body? Remember how in Job, Satan showed cynicism and malice toward humanity? Look at what Jesus did. He became one of us and demonstrated selflessness and a selfless love toward humanity. Offering eternal life to anyone who puts their trust and faith in him. And then the final verse in Hebrews 2 is this picture. Remember, we looked at David and his desire to take his place as a worshiper. Well, this is the writer of Hebrews quoting Psalm 22, which is a messianic psalm. So the writer of Hebrews is saying this applies to Jesus. This applies to the Messiah. I will proclaim your name to my brethren in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise. This pictures Jesus taking his place as a worshiper, offering praise to God. You know how the Trinity works? Each member of the Trinity gives honor to the other. And we know when Jesus was here on earth, he was giving praise to the Father. He was praising God for who he was, praising God the Father for who he was. And so <clears throat> this is our final picture for today. Jesus in the midst of the congregation. Jesus is here in the midst of our congregation through his Holy Spirit, through his presence here, enabling us, but also with us, alongside of us, giving honor and glory to God the Father. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you that your word is so strong and so powerful in our lives. Thank you, Lord, for 
your willingness to take on suffering, to take it upon yourself that we might have the chains in our lives broken. And Lord God, I pray that you would break every chain that's keeping us from a deeper and stronger walk with you, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.